Did you hear that, Fred? No, what was that? It sounds like a cuckoo clock. I believe it's time for another message. Well, we better get in the cab and grab our listeners and head on down the road. For Church on the Road Radio. Here we go. I'm driving when the sun goes down The hum of 18 wheels Lord, that's a lonely sound I spend all day Chasing that old white line I've been on the road so long I've lost track of time Hey friends, this is Chaplain Gary Rayburn of Lonesome Road Ministry. Our website is lonesomeroad.org or you can call us at 618-383-2107. That's my partner Fred Mooney. And I am so excited about being here with you. Yeah, we're going to enjoy this ride today with our friends and family out there on that old Lonesome Road. We got some great music on our program today. And we have personal testimonies. And maybe just a little bit of preaching. All right. And thy words shall be a witness unto you today. So buckle up. Relax. And hold on tight because here we go. Church on the Road. Right here on your favorite radio station. got a great guest on our program today, Fred. We're going to be riding along with our good friend, Chaplain David Walco. I could hardly wait to hear him. God has brought him a long way, and you're going to hear about it today. I believe so. I think this will be a great message for those that's going up a tough hill. <laughs> that's right. Well, David uh, drove trucks for years and years, and now he's a terminal manager. He's over in Kentucky, over south of Louisville is where he lives at, West Point, Kentucky. And he's got a great ministry. He's a hardworking man, and we just love him. He's He's been a good friend of ours for several years and a chaplain for Channel 21 Ministries. Yeah, and his ministry is called Truckers for the Homeless. Truckers for the Homeless, what an interesting name. 
Yeah, interesting name, interesting ministry, and an interesting guy. All right. And speaking of interesting guys, we're going to start today's program with a song by our good friend, Joe Arview. Yeah, we just love Joe, and I know you listeners do too. And this has got to be my favorite song by Joe Arview. You know what that is, Fred? Where the rainbow begins. That's right, Fred. That's right. That's my favorite song. <laughs> and here's Joe Arview. Found myself on a walkway, but I couldn't help but run. Driving my life in the fast lane, not far ahead of the gun. I take a pill to get up in the morning And the whiskey got me to bed I never thought I'd ever see 40 All I've been through, guess I should be dead I was searching for a life full of profit When I heard from a prophet of old I was carrying my gold in a pocket When he told me riches untold Searching for the end of the rainbow When I found where the rainbow Always told me trust Jesus. I'd tell him he was just a man. And I was hell bent to be a free bird, to fly away and never land. Mama was right about Jesus He's the way, He's the truth, and He's the life He walked through hell to free us I've walked through hell to find His life Searching for a life full of profit When I heard from a prophet of old I was carrying my gold in a pocket 
told me of riches untold. I was searching for the end of the rainbow. When I found where the rainbow begins, yes, I found where the rainbow begins. I just love that song, and I know our listeners do too, and they need to know how to contact Joe Arby. Do you think we should give his phone number out? Yes, I think we should. All right. Well, his phone number is 618-927-1986, and these listeners can call Joe anytime because he's up all the time. Call him about 2 o'clock in the morning and see what kind of mood he's in. Yeah, and if you don't get Joe, then leave a message on his answering machine. He will call you back. And he also has a website, joerview.com. And here's one more song by our good friend, Joe Arview. It's a long, long way from here. Sanity. Jesus led me down this path to find some company. Now the family is all together, gathered round his throne. And I know I must be crazy, but now I'm not alone. I'm crazy about Jesus. Yeah, no. 
be crazy But now I'm not alone Okay, Fred, well now we got to get into this testimony of David Walco. And I am so amazed how far God has brought this man. When uh, he surrendered his life to the Lord, he gave it all. He yeah. went all in, as they would say. Yeah, he's all in for Jesus. So here's David Walco. If, if, if you have your Bibles, let's go to Revelation chapter 12 real quick. I always like to start with a scripture. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. And, you know, I, I, I see that because, and, and it's really a... Um, not only is it in the book of Revelation, but it's a revelation to me because I didn't grow up in church. My, my father was Jewish. My mother claimed she was a Baptist, but we never went to church, uh, never went to synagogue. They just couldn't de- decide where they wanted to go. My dad said because he was Jewish, he would never step foot in a church. He didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. He was just a quote-unquote teacher. So uh, growing up, that was a good for a child because we celebrated Hanukkah and Christmas both. We we put up an artificial tree. My mom called it a Hanukkah bush. My dad would light the menorah so the kids got eight days of presents. So it was a blessing for the kids. But they never told me about Jesus. They All they ever told me was about Santa Claus. And I grew up in a military family. My dad was in the Air Force, so I was a, I was a military brat. And I'm sure some of you guys have served here, but it, every couple of years we would move to a different station, different duty station. And you didn't really have a chance to make friends. Uh, or if you did, by the time you really built up a friendship, you were being shipped out somewhere else. So I lived my, my, my childhood pretty much shy. And when I would try to be friends with someone, they made fun of the way I talked because we grew up down in Georgia and Alabama and I had kind of a twang, I guess, you know, and not like a banjo on my knee type of twang, but I guess it was enough to, for them to, to joke around, and, and that made me just not seek friendship. But it, it uh, I grew up in this lifestyle until my dad retired in 74. We moved to California, and they really made fun of me because of the way I talked. And I got in a lot of fights, a lot of fights. I was bigger than most kids. As you can see, I have a, a stylish figure, but uh, I, was, I was like six foot tall when I was... 13, 14 years old. And uh, when I got to California, instead of fighting these guys, I noticed these guys were, were in the drugs, smoking marijuana and different different drugs. And, and it seemed that uh, if I wanted to be friends with them, I needed to do what they did to be accepted. I'd never heard of anyone being addicted to marijuana, but the problem was I'd never even heard of marijuana until I got out to California. And that was back in the 70s. That was in the hippy-dippy days when everybody was do what they wanted to do so I uh, at 13 years old I, I started doing drugs it seemed like it broke down the barriers but it also broke down the barriers between my parents when my mom found out I was smoking pot she never said anything to me my dad he never condemned me for it as far as told me that it was wrong but he said because that's the lifestyle I chose that I would never be nothing but a burden to anybody in my life uh, I would never amount to anything and, and that was hard because when your parents tell you that, you know, it's really, we need to really be careful what we say to our children because it, it soaks in their spirit. You know, we speak life or death with the tongue, according to James. And um, 
all through high school, I did drugs. And um, uh, at the time, my dad, my dad said that it was true. I never, I never finished anything I ever started. I dropped out of high school. I was on the football team, but because a teacher wasn't going to pass me, I didn't finish school. Uh, my parents got divorced, and even though my dad couldn't tell me that he loved me, I went with him so he wouldn't be by himself. I have two younger sisters. Uh, I'm the oldest. They, they they did look up to me growing up. And then when they found out I was doing drugs, they they still loved me. Everybody knew that I had a problem but me. I don't know if anybody's been there. But, you know, we don't see. It's easy to point fingers at somebody else, but it's very we don't ever judge what we go through. So um, I moved with my dad, and we went to uh, Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky, in uh, 1982, and I went to college there. Uh, the drug abuse didn't didn't stop. I was very shy. Like I said, I was very shy growing up, and that continued to, to go. Even though I had I was I was abusing. I don't I want to give the devil any any credit whatsoever because he doesn't deserve it. Without sharing how deep I, I was in these drugs, people don't realize how much I was changed for the glory of God. Now, um, when I started going to college. I went there for a year and I quit again. I couldn't seem to study. I couldn't stay focused on what uh, I needed to learn. So um, I dropped out of college. I, I, had this, I had this pattern of always starting something but never finishing it, you know. So the words of my dad spoke actually were, were true. I was fulfilling what he had spoken over my life. I trained harness horses for a little while. I did job after job after job and never could find out anything where I could make enough money to support my my habit, and to pay bills. So I got a job as a bouncer in a bar because of my size. And I thought, what better way to get over my shyness than to have to deal with people on a one-on-one basis, even though they were inebriated, causing fights or whatever. Um, because of my size, I, I, I had a good job. Uh, I did a good job. When I was, I was growing up, I was always taught that the measure of a man is decided by what he acquires. You know, you're not a man unless you own homes and cars and boats and have money in the bank and all these different things. So I wanted to acquire things, which I couldn't seem to be able to do because of my my habits. One day a man saw with what authority that I did, that I, I did my job, that he hired me to go collect debts for him. Not a collection agency, it was... Kind of like what you see in the movies, and I'm I, I'm not proud of my past, but we overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. The devil can't use it against me when I share it. And he saw what authority that I I, I, I did my job, that he hired me to collect debts for him. And a man had written him a check for, for $700. Make a long story short, the man was connected with the mob. I thought, here's my end, because I always liked gangster movies growing up. And I thought, man, here's here's the lifestyle that I've been looking for my whole life. I can be part of a quote-unquote family, and they always have money, so I'm going, I'm set, I'm set. You know, this is all, this is what I needed. So I go to collect this money for this man. The man had written him a bad check, and because he had written him a bad check, this man wanted me to kill him. He goes, he goes I want you to go collect the $700, I don't care what you have to do to get it. I said, what do you want to do? He goes, well, I want you to kill him. I said, isn't that a bit extreme for $700? He says, yeah, but see, he embarrassed me by giving me a bad check, and I want you to teach him a lesson. So I worked in the nightclub until 4 o'clock in the morning. I go to this man's house about 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning, knock on his door. He's sitting there having a cup of coffee. 
I walk in, I say, I'm here to collect this money. And he says, I don't have it. I said, you know, if you would have told this man you spent the money on the casino or you did this or whatever, you had to pay bills, he probably could have understood this. But he didn't, because you embarrassed him, he wants me to collect this money. He started laughing at me. He says, what are you going to do? Kill me? In the nightclub, not only was I doing smoking marijuana, but I had I wasn't getting the same effect from the drugs that I had, so I had started doing cocaine and crystal meth. And I don't know if you know anyone that was ever addicted to drug, really addicted to drugs, but your attitude changes like that. And when the man started laughing at me, I took it personally and I shot him four times, once in the head and three times in the chest. Thank God he didn't die. I didn't realize that God was watching over my life then because I knew nothing about God. I didn't, like I said, the only, the first time I ever heard about Jesus Christ was watching a Charlie Brown's Christmas when I was 12 or 13 years old. I know, you know, because Jesus was over 2,000 years ago that there were Christians around, but no one ever witnessed to me. Nobody ever told me about Christ. So I, there was always an emptiness in me. I think that's why I feel, tried to fill it with drugs was because that way that I, I wouldn't feel empty or alone. So when I shot this man, I just took what he had in his pocket Walked out the door, got in my car, never thought another thing about it. Never got offered a job in the mafia, which was a blessing. Praise God. Now I can look back now. Praise God. Things never changed. While I worked at the, at the, at the bar, I started dating one of the waitresses that had two, two kids, and she worked two jobs, and she wouldn't stay and party with everybody after, after work. She'd always she'd go home and take care of her kids, and I respected that. We ended up getting married in um, April of 1990. Well, she she loved me, but I still but she couldn't fill that gap. She couldn't fill that emptiness that I had inside. Or maybe I wouldn't let her. I'm not sure. Maybe because I was so far out there that she saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. Uh, I would work and not have enough money to pay bills. And it's like a roller coaster ride. I would take the money for the bills and buy drugs to try to make more money to pay the bills. And it was a vicious cycle that never seemed to end. But if I was just I took the money to begin with to pay the bills, I would have skipped the, the insanity that I created. You know, the, the devil's a puppet master. And as long as you let him control you, he will control you um, to the point that you just finally just give up. That's what his, his job is to seek out who he may destroy. And um, then I got offered a job as a, uh, I, I got my CDL and got offered a job as a truck driver. And I thought, well, here's a way to make money. I can still do drugs and provide for my family. Still, the only one that didn't know that I had a drug problem. But I would go up and down the road and I would, I would transport drugs back and forth. And I would, I would just do the drugs just to, to do my job because it would keep me up for days at a time. And I would be able to go to California. I run a lot of West Coast, a lot of produce back and forth. In my mind would say I was only going to do it to get my job and come back home. Then I would take a few days off and just be with my family. But when I get back home, that, that, those urges, those, those desires, I wouldn't stop. I would, I would still keep doing the drugs and I would not spend any time with my family. I, I got them. I had them. So they were so angry and not really. When my daughter would, would, would come in there, I would, I would say something to offend her, and they would all leave me alone. So I'd be, I would still be alone. And I thought, what, what good is it to have a family that, if I'm not going to spend any time with them? You know? uh, this went on for just for years, and, and just 
just one thing after another. And during this lifestyle of drugs, I would I would take things that didn't belong to me from people. I would just if I'd see somebody on the road or somebody's house, I decided to go into and take something. I just go do it. I, I know that's one of the commandments not to steal, but that was just part of I couldn't afford to do what I wanted to do. I went to California. They sent me to Arizona to pick up a load of cheese, and I was. I went to Colorado. I was coming back home, and my wife kept telling me, "You need, you need to." I wish you would stop. I wish you would quit. You know, my wife grew up in church. Got divorced from her first husband. He was a drug addict. She was uh, single for I think five, uh, ten years or, or fifteen years, whatever. And then we got together, and she grew up singing in the in the choir. You know, with her with her cousins and sister. And uh, she didn't like this lifestyle. I wish she would just quit. Why don't you, I wish she would just quit, you know? And I said, well, I just, I don't have a problem. I don't understand. If I, as long as I'm maintaining and doing my job and I'm providing for you, leave me alone. That was my attitude. Leave me alone. I'm not bothering anybody. Well, in, uh, on September 30th, 2003, I was coming through Missouri on Interstate 70. I get to Columbia, Missouri, and I've been up for nine days. I had uh, drugs in my truck. They were hidden where no one knew where they were at, supposedly. I get stopped by a state police officer. He pulls me over and says I was tailgating the a semi that was in front of me. Well, I, I was loaded. I was heavy, but every time I, I would catch him on a hill. I, down the hill, I was heavier than he was. I'd be up on his rear end, and then he'd go take off, and I would have a distance again. I'd try to pass him, and it just this went on for apparently miles that I didn't know about, but... This officer pulled me over, and when he pulled me over, he smelled marijuana in the truck, which gave him probable cause to search. When he said that, he, I said, what are you doing? I, I'm not bothering anybody. He says, well, I, was, I, I smell drugs in your truck, so I'm, I'm going to search your truck. That was God, because in the next county, there was the uh, Narcotics Bureau of Missouri that was waiting to pull me over and search my truck and arrest me. And I come to find out that... Um, if I would have been arrested in that county, I would have got life in prison for the amount of drugs that I had. Seeing that God intervened, I got caught in a county that was a college town. And because it's a college town, they, had, um, they were more lenient toward drugs because of the students. And apparently judges' kids went to college there, and they just kind of slap you on the wrist. Uh, they said, we're going to give you 20 years for every state that you went through. I went through five states. I finally come to the realization that I had a drug problem. I thought, you know, I'm taking down my wife. She doesn't deserve this. I've been locked up three or four times. She stood behind me the whole time. I'm in this uh, in Boone County in Columbia, Missouri, and they come back with 100 years. I tell them no. Um, it was on September 30th, on October 7th of 2003, I'm laying in the, the cell, and I'm trying to think why, why I'm in the predicament that I'm in. Why am I here? I don't deserve to be here. I'm really not hurting anyone. And when I got locked up, I read the Bible. And the only reason I got the Bible was because it was a thick book. It would take me a long time to read it. And I was in solid, I was, like I said, I was up for nine days, so they had me in solitary confinement because I was coming off of the drugs. And they were afraid I was going to hurt somebody. On October 7th, I, I realized that not only was I taking myself down, I was taking my wife and my kids down, and they didn't deserve it. So I was going to, I was going to kill myself. I, I determined in my, I was like, you know what? I read in the Bible. I didn't know where it was at the time. 
that we were all created for, your, for God's pleasure, the fellowship with him. But I, I said, you know, I know that you didn't create me because my parents wanted a son. I know you didn't create me to be a laughing stock, and that's all my life's ever been. So if that's what life's all about, then I don't even want to live. So I took the sheet off the, off the mattress. I put it around the desk, uh, the leg of the desk, put it around my neck, and proceeded to twist on the floor so I could suffocate myself. At that moment, Matthew 7, 7 come to me, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find, knock and the door shall be open to you. You have not because you ask not, James 4, 2. And I said, you know, I've tried to kill myself three or four times in the truck, going down the highway, trying to go to a, a median strip into a barrier, and at the last minute, God would just, the truck would move. And I just, I thought, am I just, am I crying going down the road and not being able to hit these barriers? Or what's, why can't I kill myself? Because when God has a plan for your life, nothing's going to take you, nothing, nothing shall snatch you from the Father's hand. So when I'm laying there with that sheet, and, I, and, I, and Matthew 7, 7 comes to me, I said, so you mean I have to ask? You know, the Bible says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I can quote scripture now because since 2003, I've been in the word. I didn't know it at the time. And I was like, well, you know, I know you created me for a purpose. I have no idea what it is. But apparently, I'm, I said, I'm 40, 44 years old, 43 years old, and I, I haven't lived my life right, so God, you take it over. Maybe you could do something with this mess. I sure can. When I said that prayer, it was like someone took someone Gary's size off my shoulders. I mean, it was just every, everything I'd ever done come off of me. I lay there on the floor crying like a baby. And when I got saved, I never cried before. I wouldn't cry if, no matter what you did to me, <laughs> like now. Um, but when I got saved, God gave me a heart. I cried so much in that jail cell. When the jailers come by, it looked like the toilet had overflowed. The floor was just soaking wet. But I felt um, such a peace. I told God, I said, you know, I don't know what you want me to do but I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Before I got saved, like I said, I was always go take things from people. And I thought that the measure of a man was by what you acquired, what you, what you took in, what you had to show people. I never did anything for anybody without getting paid. I, so I, I just, unless I'm going to get something for it, I'm not doing nothing for anybody. When God saved me, I would help other guys in jail with their legal papers or if they couldn't read a letter or didn't understand or needed help writing, I would, I would help people, and I wasn't asking for anything. I, I didn't need anything. I sit there one day and, re, and come to realize I couldn't understand why when I was working, my wife couldn't pay the bills. I thought that until I realized that I had a drug problem, even though I was making money as a truck driver, that she must be hiding money because we're still in the same financial struggles that we were had. And I, when I was in jail, I come to realize I was spending $40,000 a year on drugs. She couldn't pay bills because when you make $60,000 a year and $40,000 goes to the dope man, it's kind of hard to spend $200 a week to pay to catch things up. My wife told me about six months, she was afraid to tell me. The day that I got arrested, she was sitting at home saying, God, I don't care what you have to do to get the drugs out of our life. If you've got to put him in jail, but get the drugs out of our life. 
And when I got arrested, my wife, my cell phone was ringing and ringing and ringing. And these state troopers were saying, where'd you get the drugs? I wouldn't tell them where I got the drugs. I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell them anything. I just said, they're mine. And they were mine. I, didn't, I wasn't buying them to sell. My habit was so bad, I didn't need customers. I was spending all my money on it. <laughs> but um, finally, he says, who's keep calling you? Is that, is that your people waiting for you? I said, no, it's my wife wanting to know where I'm at. She expected me home. I wasn't there yet. He goes, talk to her. Okay, so I answered the phone. I said, hello. She goes, where are you at? I said, jail. Oh, you're kidding me. I said, no, I'm sitting here in Missouri. I don't believe you. So I put the officer on the phone. He tells her what's going on. The day I finally go to court, they held me in, in solitary confinement for six months. For six months, all I did was read that Bible and help people come to my cell. Because I only got out of, out of the cell one hour a day. Enough time to take a shower, sit in the day room, maybe get on the phone. But that was it. I just stayed in the Word. Just stayed in the Word. They'd come back with a 20-year offer. I denied that. They'd come back with a 10. And for five months, five and a half months, I'd been reading the Bible. I was like, you know, I'm starting to get a foundation. And I'm starting to understand that God has a purpose for every one of our lives. So I, I said, well, you know, if I have to go to prison, I'm, I'm still going to serve you. If that's what you want me to do, I'll still serve you because you because you love me. I finally, I come to the realization that he loved me. And the day I went to court, my wife came in from Kentucky and I'm, I'm sitting there and I feel that, and I didn't hear an audible voice, but I heard God say, do you believe I can let you go home? And I said, well, you, you spoke the world into existence. So if you want me to go home, I believe you can let me go home. So I'm sitting there in the, in the jury box, shackled, orange jumpsuit, my attorney walks up, talks to the judge or the prosecutor, and they look over at me, and he says, come here. And we walk down the hallway. He goes, I don't know who you know, but they want you to go home. They're going to let you go home. Now, this is from a 100-year sentence down to five years, probated for five years. And not only did, was I from Kentucky, and they, they kicked me home. They told me, go home, go to Kentucky, go back home, because they had gotten letters that said I was a good person. And because I had a job and the jails were full. And I said, that wasn't the reason you sent me home. God had another plan. You know, I did crystal meth for over 10 years. I don't know if you've seen anybody, these pictures on people, they, they suck up. They're, they're from 300 pounds down to 50 pounds and lose their teeth. I never lost my figure. <laughs> I never lost my teeth. So I knew God had another purpose for my life. So I... I said, well, God, you, you set me free. Now I'll, I'll do what you've called me to do. God's used me from in, across this country. I, I, my pastor um, prayed for me when I got out of jail. And they had been praying for a bus driver. And there were other guys that had a CDL at church, but nobody wanted to drive the bus. So God answered two prayers. He, he delivered me. And they got, he got their, their bus, bus driver. But God, I believe that, that God laid on my heart that he called me to, to reach those that aren't getting to church. He said, I called you to, to minister to those that nobody else will to touch, the drug addicts, the alcoholics, homeless people. That's where I've called you to. And I thought, well, how can I do that being a truck driver? Oddly enough, 
that's the biggest ministry field I think there is, is being able to go up and down. Now, you're not stuck in an area. You're, I'm all over the country. Uh, I drove the, the church bus for a while, and then I started going back to California. And I, I felt in my spirit when I, when I changed jobs, because I was driving somewhat local or regional, I felt God say, I don't like this job change. You're going back around the people that you were around before. You're going back in this area. And he says, but no matter what you do, I can't take your free will away from you. You're going to do what you want to do, but I'm still going to use you. So I, I go to California. Uh, my mom's in a nursing home. She didn't believe she was ever going to go to heaven. God used me to lead her to the Lord. And as I'm getting ready to pray, the sinners for my mom, the lady in the bed next to her said, would you lead me too? So here I'm standing between two elderly women leading them both to the Lord. And I thought, wow. Because my mom was like, you know, you know, Dave, I can never go. So, I've done so much stuff. God will never forgive me. And I said, Mom, look what he's done for me. I left there. I go to Seattle, Washington. And I'm in a truck stop, and these kids are walking around trying to uh, sell jewelry or whatever they can sell to get money to buy drugs. And I look back, when I, was, when I said my pastor prayed for me, he said, you know you've been called to preach. I thought I said, yeah, right. But my wife confirmed later the words come out of my mouth was, yes, I know. I didn't know that I had said that, but that's what's come out of my mouth. I get to Washington. These kids are trying to sell, sell jewelry. And I said, you know, that's not going to get you what you want. You need Jesus. I start, I start ministering to these kids. And the guy with her says, Look, I didn't come to get preached at. I said, you shouldn't have come to a preacher's truck. When I told my pastor that, he started laughing. He said, oh, you confessed it out of your own mouth, huh? I said, well, um, hey, you know what? I guess. Before I was saved, it's like God had a storehouse of blessings that he wanted to release to me, but he couldn't give them to me until I was his. You know, God won't give you his power if you're not sold out to him because you may use it for worldly things or for yourself. So went from... from I tell my wife about that. And when the kids walked away from me, they, this girl turned around. She had a look of despair. And like, she, like, she, like she was crying out. But I, and it, it really hurt. It touched my heart. And um, I went down to California. And I'm standing on a loading dock. This guy walked in. You could tell he was, he was just out there. And he walked by. And, and there's another guy. I looked over this other truck getting ready to get loaded. And he, he says, man, look at him. He spun out. He's just, look, he's just out there. I said, I remember those days. He goes, do you, do you do that anymore? I said, nope, I'm a Jesus freak now. And he says, a Jesus freak? I said, yeah, let me tell you what happened. So I started giving my testimony to him. I wasn't paying attention how long it was taking. I was just sharing what God put on my heart. When I got done, I turned around and looked. The guys on the forklift had stopped working. They weren't loading a truck. There was nine people standing around. One guy said, the one the forklift driver says, would you do for me what you did for your mom? So I got to lead him to the Lord. And I was like, well, praise God, look at this. Look what God can do when you're just obedient. When you, I mean, I didn't, I'm, I'm learning what, I'm still learning what obedience is. But when I was just willing to do what God wanted me to do, you know, I said, well, look at this. So this, they started, they called it the lettuce revival. Well, this guy, is, he's standing there, he's just crying and sobbing because you've been telling my life story. How I was in drugs, I said, well, I'm just telling my story. But it's the story of a lot of people out here, how, how drugs just, how the devil just ensnares you. And um, 
He said, man, you got to share my testimony. I'm a pastor. Well, you got to share your testimony at my church. I said, well, if I have, I have time. So he's in just outside of Springfield, Missouri. I, I get loaded. I, he said, are you going to be there? I said, if I, can, if I can be there, I'll be there. I get to his church. I have just enough time to, turn, to park like I did out front here and turn my four ways on. Walk in the church. Praise and worship is going on. Meet the pastor. Throws me up on, behind the podium. I start sharing my testimony. This man walks up to me and says, what took you so long to get here? I said, well, I drove 1,300 miles a little over a day. I thought I did a pretty good job. He goes, that's not what I'm talking about. God told him two months earlier that a man named David was coming to his church to tell him how I, I was blessed because his 14-year-old son had been killed in a four-wheeler accident a year and a half before, and he was mad at God. And he said, God, before I die, if you want me to, to know you're a good God, send me a sign. This guy called me by name, and I just thought I was going to pass out. So I get home, and I'm just, I got home before the truck did. I had to wait for the truck to catch up because I was so, I've never been so high on drugs as I have been with Jesus Christ. Um, I get back home, and I share my testimony. And the pastor's like, I, he goes, God can take the worst vessel and turn him into a water pot. I go back to I go back to Washington. This is about a year and a half later. And I'm up in Tacoma. You want to pick up a load? And I'm standing on the loading dock because I have, I'm load, picking up a load of electronics. And then you have to verify everything they put in your trailer. This person comes by on a forklift and lets out a blood-curdling scream. <laughs> and I thought there was a spider on me, so I'm looking for this creature on me, and I'm trying to, and this girl jumps off the forklift and runs over and gives me a hug. It was the girl that was in that truck stop. She said, you know, everything you told us about him abusing me and uh, the drugs not being good enough for us, uh, she goes, he beat me, abused me, um, tried to uh, put her out into prostitution, things he could do to, to raise money. And she goes, everything you, you said, come, it happened. And she goes, um, I, I finally had to leave him and go back home. I moved back in with my parents. And she goes, I, I've been going to church. And she goes, I was in church one day and told God, I said, I sure, I sure would like to see that, that driver again. And she said um, that God gave her Revelation 12, 11. I said, when, when you see him, not if, when you see him again, tell him that you are a testimony to that scripture. So when she come and give me the hug, we we went and had lunch. You know, I told my pastor, I said, my pastor called, he goes, how you doing? Because he's always checking on me, always checking on me. He doesn't so much anymore, praise God, because I, I I do need accountability. We all need accountability. But he said, uh, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to lunch with a 25-year-old blonde. He goes, oh, my gosh, David, what are you doing? So I told, I told him what was going on. On that trip back, I get in Tennessee. And I used to have a, a mural of Jesus on the side of my truck. And I'm going through Jackson, Tennessee, and I get pulled over by a state trooper. I'm only doing, I'm not even doing the speed limit. The speed limit 70, I'm doing 68. He pulls me over, comes up the passenger side, gets on the running board, and I roll down the window. I said, why'd you stop me? I wasn't doing anything wrong. He goes, well, I saw the mural on the side of your truck. I said, you stopped me because I'm a Christian? He says, well, yes, in a way. 
Um, my wife, he goes, you know, we've tried, my wife was just diagnosed with cancer, with breast cancer. And he says, we've tried everything, the doctors, but we've never went to church. And we thought maybe we need to start going to church. So would you lead us to the Lord? This is on the side of the interstate. And I was just blown away. I said, I said, now here's one for the books. A cop stopping me because I'm a Christian. So I, um, I said, I would be honored. So I'm leading them to the Lord. And I just felt my spirit, God saying, that's not the only reason they're here. And I said, you know, I believe that God's going to heal your wife. And he said, how's that? I said, well, I said, lay your hand on your wife. I lay my hand on top of his hand. The power of God come through me like electricity. It was like come through my head and I felt like every hair on my head standing up and my arms and just shoot out of me. And I, and I started praying for her and I started praying in the spirit. Next thing you know, she starts bucking and jerking and she goes, what was that? I said, that was the power of God. I believe God just healed you. <clears throat> he lets me go down. The, we, we exchange email addresses. I go back home. Nothing really. I didn't hear anything. A couple months later, I get a letter back. I get an email. It says, Brother Dave, I just wanted to, this is Jim from Tennessee State Police. You know, I met you on the side of the road. You led us to the Lord. Wanted you to know that I'm singing in the choir. There is no cancer in my wife. Praise God. God has done miracle after miracle after miracle. And he's doing a miracle with this ministry. Because your, your CDs have, have, have ministered to me. And I, I, cause I listen to every one of them before I pass them out. <laughs> Not that they need to be scrutinized or, or listened to, but because I need to be ministered to. Because I don't get to go home and be at church all the time. I'm, I, I got home the other day. Or Wednesday night I was at church. That was the first time in three weeks. But God told me that he didn't call me to, to sit in a church. He doesn't call any of us to sit in a church. You know, we come to get fed, but I was in there, I was telling Brother Gary, I was in Amarillo one time, and I was just crying on the field, I'm crying, I want to go home and go to church, I want to go to church. My wife just, she goes, man, you've nothing but a crybaby now. I said, well, I, now I, I desire the things that God has for me. God laid on my spirit, and he says, they're all my house. They're all my house. So now I don't look so forward, I, yes, I do look forward to going and seeing my church family. Because the family that I, my family was there for me. I had, my parents were, you know, I mean, but the family I pushed away, God's restored me in my church family. I have that love that's there. Um, if you're listening to this CD and you're, you're not able to go to church or that you know that God's even for you, I, I want you to know God is for you. And there's such a sweet spirit here, I believe, that it's going out over the CD. If you are lost and you're in a, you're in a situation that you don't seem you, like you can get out of, God can get you out of any situation if you turn it over to him. And if you would, I would want to ask you to repeat this prayer after me and say, Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to come in my heart and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. 
Show me what, what it is you want me to do and let me be the man or woman of God you've called me to be. Let me bring glory to your name in everything that I do and everywhere I go. And let me lead people to you, to your kingdom, because that is our ultimate purpose. I thank you for saving me and setting me free. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello, Jesus. Yes, it's really me. After all the wrong I've done, Lord. I guess you're surprised to see me here at your altar like a beggar on bended knees who's come here to beg you oh lord please please forgive me i can't make it without you jesus yes i finally see so let me surrender my life to you and Jesus Jesus please forgive me I've learned the truth about Satan's so-called good life oh it was just a candle it was just a candle Too short to burn through the night Now I'm here in the darkness And I come to you and plead Oh, light my life Oh, light my life And Jesus, please forgive me Oh, please forgive me I can't make it without you, Jesus Yes, I finally see So let me confess my sins And you can give me eternal life And Jesus, please, please Please forgive me. All right, friends, if you prayed that prayer with David, then I want you to do me a favor. No, do yourself a favor. Give David a call at 502-294-0132 and let him pray for you and help you with your walk with Christ. Somebody's praying And I can feel it Somebody's praying for me Mighty hands are guiding me To protect me from what I can't see Lord, I believe 
Lord, I believe somebody's praying for me. are watching I can feel it angels are watching over me there's many miles till I get home still I'm safely kept before your throne Lord I My pillow was a stone I've been through the darkest caverns Where no light has ever shone Still I went on Cause there was someone Who was down on their knees And Lord I thank you for those people Praying all this time for me Somebody's praying I can feel it Somebody's praying for me Mighty hands are guiding me To protect me from what I can't see Lord, I believe Lord, I believe Somebody's praying for me Somebody How many times have you driven down the interstate, come off on an off-ramp and come to an exit, or went down your road and come to an intersection and saw someone sitting there or sleeping under a bridge, and you thought, maybe they're cold and hungry. If you did, did you help them, or did you just look away to avoid an awkward situation? What if that person was your brother or your sister? What if that person was your son or your daughter? Would you help them then? Hi, my name is David Walco. I am one of the founders of Truckers for the Homeless. We are a 501c3 nonprofit charity that is trying to help those less fortunate than ourselves. 
We're helping those that we come in contact with with items to help them survive. We give them food, we give them water, personal hygiene items, blankets, socks, gloves, anything that we can think of that would make things just a little bit easier. We give them someone to talk to or a shoulder to cry on. Homelessness has become an epidemic. Not everyone you see is a drug addict or an alcoholic. Some of these people have just fallen on hard times. Some of you watching this today have been in a situation that you were just one paycheck away from being in the same situation. And if you did, wouldn't you hope that someone was there to help you? That someone actually cared? We are looking for individuals and companies that would be willing to partner with us and try to meet the needs of the homeless. Whether it's monthly support or a one-time gift, all is appreciated and all is very much needed. If you're a driver and you want to become part of Truckers for the Homeless, that's even better because we all run different routes and the more of us that are out there handing out these bags, the more people we could reach. We may not be able to help all the homeless that we run into, but it doesn't stop us from trying. Jesus said that all things are possible to them that believe. The more of us that are out there, the more homeless people we can reach. If you're interested, you can contact us at truckersforthehomeless.com. That's truckersforthehomeless.com. Check out our website at truckersforthehomeless.com and become part of the team. We need you all. Thank you and have a good day. God bless you. If you'd like to call Chaplain David and talk to him, he would love to hear from you. His phone number is 502-975-5777. So call him up. He'd love to hear from you. Without hope, 18 wheels of lonesome at the end of the road. In my hand was a track the preacher had read, his words still echoing in the back of my head. I felt so ashamed when I thought of my past. Hey drivers, we appreciate you letting us ride along with you in the cab. And you can contact us at 618-383-2107 or you can log on to our website at lonesomeroad.org and check us out on the web. You can listen to all of our radio programs on our website on our broadcast from the past page. So check it out. And if you ask Jesus Christ into your heart, then give us a call and let us know. been lost I left a lifetime of misery at the foot of the tree
Oh 